I think I spent so much of my life and my quote-unquote career as a, a pastor of defending the things that I couldn't be certain about. Certainty was important, but there were inconsistencies. And so I was spending my life trying to justify um, what I was certain about, uh, if that makes any sense. Defending the Bible, defending my beliefs, but found, you know, as Brad Jerzak and some of them would say, a more beautiful gospel that's seen through the lens of Jesus. To love your enemies and turn the other cheek and, you know, all of those things. And just finding kind of a more beautiful way that's less violent, less not retributive, um, but restorative. And not only, you know, have I found that as a philosophy or a doctrine for life, but but it's also becoming very real in my life at 54, beginning to experience, like we talked about before, real peace. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome to the show. I am Seth, and I want to ask you real quick, Rate and review the show wherever you happen to be listening. Algorithms run the world, not Beyonce. Unless Beyonce, you're listening, and then of course you run the world, which means you also run algorithms. Either way, we have to feed those ones and zeros of the computers that run the world. So rate and review the show on iTunes. Consider becoming a patron supporter. You'll be one of my favorite people. And I mean that genuinely, even though I laugh while I say it. That's true. The patron supporters of the show are the people that I often text message, phone call, message back and forth with, email back and forth with, and they are becoming amongst some of the closest people that I know. Early one Saturday, sat down with Carl Forehand, and when I say early, like 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, and Carl and I were both up really early, and uh, we had a conversation about fatherhood and about deconstruction and about faith, how our lenses of God are shifted as we get out of our comfort zones. Our lenses bend. The frames, though, the frames stay true. And if I'll, I'll take that metaphor and I'll break it apart, that frame is God. But the lenses that fit inside there, we just see the world in a way that we can't unsee it. So I really hope that you enjoy this conversation with Carl Forehand. His book that is out is beautiful. It's written from the heart of a father. Enjoy this conversation with Carl for him. Carl Forehand, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here. For those listening, uh, we're doing this one early in the morning, and so I'm also excited to be trying something new. My brain usually doesn't work this well in the morning, and so we will <laughs> we will see how it works. But but welcome, and thank you for making the time to come on, man. Thanks for the privilege of being on your show. Um, I'm a big fan. Appreciate that very much. So yeah, I'm always I, I don't I still don't quite know what to say when people say that, and it's it's a blessing that other people get something out of it. But usually. Yeah. It's me therapeutically working through faith just very publicly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I really enjoy the community that's come of it. One of those is the community yeah. that I believe that you help create, you know, that water to wine community 
on Facebook. That's become one of my favorite places, mm-hmm. not of safety, but just different thought. Like what I like about it a lot is there's not a lot of political arguments in there. It really is focused mm-hmm. around, let's just talk about religion and faith and Jesus and everything that that goes with, which is refreshing to have a place that's that's really centrally yeah. core focused on. Let's just stay on point. You may not, may not be able to tell, but there's about four or five moderators that were just members of the group. And um, they try to keep that in check a little <laughs> to make sure it's civil because we wanted people to have a healthy place to share. Well, y'all are doing it, and I appreciate them moderating it. You wrote a book, and mm-hmm. the title escapes me at the moment because I know it's gone uh, through a different couple title changes. But I want to talk a right. bit about some of the themes and some of the topics in that. Uh, kind of okay. kind of where that's going. But before that, I wanted to learn a little bit more about you. And so for probably everyone listening, yours will be a new name that they haven't heard. And so I'm curious right. if you could kind of set the context of, you know, for those that decide to get the book, and, I've, and I, I would encourage them to do so. It's, it's, really, it's written from a perspective that I really appreciate, you know, as a father and as someone also struggling or wrestling with faith. Like it's, there's a lot in there. It's not an academic level book. It's a this is a real book, if that makes sense, for lack of a better metaphor. Yeah. And and so I want you to kind of break apart you a bit. Kind of what is your upbringing and where are you coming from to okay. create to create the man that wrote these words? Yeah, I was um, born in Oklahoma. Um, um, I was raised Southern Baptist. We had uh, had a stable stable upbringing for to some degree. There's some things I didn't know about that that were going on, and you'll never recognize those when you're a kid. But uh, I faced a lot of rejection in my life. It's part of what you'll see in the book. And when when I got out of college and was was trying to to reconcile that, I searched for the the community that was closest to what I knew, what I was comfortable with, and that would have been. Uh, the Southern Baptist community. And so I returned to that after I got out of college and found some acceptance there and just kind of ate that up. Uh, about 10 years into my career as a computer programmer, I got enough education to be a pastor and uh, whatever that means. <laughs> and <laughs> then um, kind of plunged both feet into small town church ministry at a non denominational Bible church pastored a couple of churches. In the meantime, developed a, a career on the side that kind of blossomed and, and became real productive for me, but also had some success in those churches along with a lot of pain and, and just kind of a growing un, unrest with those, that, um, that, that certainty, that fundamentalist evangelical mindset, the I just started having problems with um, the uh, literal interpretation and biblicist type interpretation of the Bible. And just a growing unrest about five years ago when I really started to question my beliefs. But the title of the book is Apparent Faith, uh, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart. Mm. So it's as my children began to to grow and mature and went through things with them. The the book kind of begins with us 
it's just my story of sitting down with my kids, who are all adults now, at an IHOP restaurant in the Kansas City metro area when we can finally get them all together. And just realize that not that, I don't know, you know, most people kind of have those aspirations of, you know, I, I hope my kids someday will come to me and say, man, you taught me this. <laughs> and that was so important in my life. And now, you know, and and those, that really doesn't ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'll say thank you or this, you know, occasionally. But usually as teenagers and so on, you, you hear from them when they want money. <laughs> when they can't find something. And so as uh, we, we sat in that IHOP restaurant, I realized not that I was giving them words of wisdom to live by or anything like that, but I realized all of a sudden that they were teaching me. And that kind of began a process of looking back over the years and looking at uh, my story and seeing where they had influenced me. And, and all of that is my beliefs began to change. And, and about two years ago, went through a serious deconstruction of my beliefs. And so all of that's in the book. That's all um, my story of, uh, you know, how, how, how my children, raising my children, is interconnected with, with what I hope is getting my beliefs to the right place. Yeah. Yeah, no, I yeah. can, yeah, I can, I can relate a lot to that, but slightly different. So my kids are not the same age as yours. I mean, my oldest mm -hmm. just turned 10. Um, you, you've probably seen him on Facebook, although I try not to post pictures of the kids too much on Facebook, but my wife does, and then she'll yeah. tag me to him, and then all my people can see him. Yeah. But I know um, emotionally, you know, as my kids were born, it caused me to deal with faith differently because the answers that you can give to, you know, Carl or Jim down the street or Samantha across the road about God, you can't do that right. with, with a kid. Like the answers just, they have to change. Um, and for yeah. me, you know, if the answers had to change, why I'm doing this wrong, something's wrong. Something can't be, right. it, it, it shouldn't be this hard to talk about God and faith, but right. that's my favorite part. Two questions. Why IHOP? And that sounds like a silly question, but why IHOP? Like, is that a family thing? You're like, no, this is where we go. Like, Sunday's IHOP. Um, I, I guess, you know, just a comfortable place, <laughs> you know, that we all can meet. We weren't anywhere close to anyone's house. And yeah. 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 It's kind of been a theme, I think, before my daughter's wedding. We, we met at an IHOP for some reason. Yeah. Um, I just instantly think of uh, Jim Gaffigan talking about I hop. You never hop out of there, right? <laughs> I can barely move. And, anyway, um, um, just yeah, yeah. it's just a just a comfortable place to eat some comfort food and yeah, and, just talk. Uh, Catch up, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, well, it, it brought me back. So in college, well, right as I graduated high school, I was involved in a college group at, at, uh, at the Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Church that I was involved in at the time before I went to Liberty. And as we would hang out, we would often like be out and it would be, Lord knows what time in the morning. And we would just go to right. IHOP. And there would be six or seven right. of us there literally just being in community with each other, but mm -hmm. at IHOP. And I hadn't really thought about it until I read those pages of your book. And I just kind of had to set yeah. it down. I was like, I remember being at IHOP, you know, with Lori 
and with Jimmy yeah. and with Mario. And like it's just all these memories came flooding back in. And so it sounds like a weird right. question, but really with intention. Like I didn't know if IHOP held a special place because I didn't realize that it did for me until I read you talking about IHOP. Uh, and it, you know, honestly, it made me reconnect with some of those people, which, yeah. which was great. Like I was like, I should call her, see how she's doing. <laughs> there's, a, yeah. there's a story early on in your book where you talk about lessons that you've learned from trying to push your kids to be more. And if I remember right, it's a story about like a football game and your son. Is that, I feel like yeah. that's the right story. I was wondering if you can break that apart again about what, what changed and how you can see God specifically from the, the habit of parents constantly, I would argue, living vicariously through their kids. Right. I, I think, you know, the, the story is about my, my son and he, he played football, but always just kind of, he just liked being on the team more than that. He worked real hard to, to become a star athlete. He, he liked uh, being a blocking fullback instead of the, the tailback that ran the ball every time. And there was a, a time when he had had a chance to score a touchdown. He, and I wanted that so much for him and I'd written a blog about it before, but, uh, you know, you just, you, uh, when you're raising children, you think that's part of my job to, to push them or, um, help them excel or teach them how to achieve or however you want to frame that. But I was just, it was, at that moment, when I knew he was going to get the football, I knew they were going to give him a chance to score a touchdown. And it was just a, a yard away, and everything in me was was in that moment and wanting that for him and kind of being the typical soccer mom is what I felt like. <laughs> um, and all over that that event at that time, but he did he did get the ball, but he didn't score the touchdown, I realized how deflated I was and that, um, you know, it just kind of had a deep impact on me. And I, I go back to like Bob Goff, who says, you know, what's the real thing that a father does or should do? And, and he talks about the idea of a father uh, leaning over his children and saying, what do you want to do today? And then saying to that child, let's go do that together. And that's, you know, I think that's more the father's heart um, than pushing me to excel or handcrafting me into some kind of a, a human being. I think, you know, more than anything, God kind of leans over my life and says, does what do you want to do today? Let's let's go do that together. And and that God, I'm learning to see God more as a uh, as a being that sits with me and that walks with me more than He's interested in my performance. Mm. And so, of course, that was a big big issue in my life. You now to have to succeed and accomplish and overcome the anyway. So. Does that make any sense? No, it, it does. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I can relate to it on two ways. So my son today, like in a few hours, will go play baseball. Um, and 
and and Levi, I'm sure uh, he listens to a lot of these episodes. It's a reason I try to intentionally not have a lot of curse words in them. Yeah, he'll he'll, he'll listen to them, and 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 so, buddy, if you're listening, this isn't. Don't take this personal. He's just not very good at baseball. But he yeah. and and for the for the last season, like he he teetered on like I don't want to play. I was like, okay, then don't mm-hmm. play because in my family, if we start it, we finish it. Like if we do it, we, yeah. we do it right. And we don't have to do it again. Yeah. But if we start this, we made a commitment. Uh, to ourself, you know, to our teams, to the family. I made a commitment to taking you, and so did your mom. So if we start this, yeah. we're going to finish it. And um, and the last day of the season, like the last day that you can sign up, he's like, I want to play. Okay. And really, I'm enjoying, I've, I've tried to intentionally, like I don't scream from the stands. I have because mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like it's not going to make him change his stance. He's not going to hit the ball better. I've just literally right. shut up and watch him play and giggle with yeah. his friends and run around the bases mm-hmm. and it has yeah. been so encouraging to learn honestly what i'm learning carl is how to just be quiet like i don't need to, he's got a coach let the coach be the coach i get right. to just i just watch him laugh don't watch him play baseball i'm just coming to watch him laugh not baseball yeah. if that makes any sense and it yeah and a part of part of you you know being the father is that you, you can't have an identity crisis. God doesn't have an identity crisis when he looks over our lives. <laughs> and it's not what we do that, that makes or breaks him. But for many parents, that's, that's how we act. Is yeah. I need them to succeed for yeah. whatever reason in my life. And, and that creates an identity crisis in us. We gotta, but we've got to know who we are. Does that, does that make any sense? It does, but that's I'm a big sorry, question. I interrupted you. But. No, it's fine. Interrupt me whenever, whenever you want. Um, <laughs> the, uh, that's a big question. Like, I, I think you're right. Like, we need them to succeed. But I don't yeah. really know why. Like, the banker part of my yeah. brain is I need you to learn to succeed because eventually I need you to leave my house and, you know, be your own right. father. But right. I don't actually know why that. I don't know. Maybe there's something, you know, evolutionary that isn't. I honestly don't know. That's a good question. I'm gonna have to dig into that. Like, why psychologically am I wired right. to be like, no, you need to, you know, I need, I need you to find your place in this world and then crush it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. Maybe that talks more about the way we raise parents. I don't know. It's a big question. I'm writing that down, Carl. It is. I don't. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I like walking away I with like live questions. Kind of questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> One of the things that you talk about is prayer. Prayer for me over these last two years have been massive, like mm-hmm. huge shifts. Um, one of the w- books that has impacted me the most was Mark Karras, and then I read that in conjunction with Aaron Nequist. And between those two different versions of prayer, prayer is becoming beautiful for me. Not a not a not mm-hmm. a not a uh, not a chore, but just beautiful. Right. And you right. talk a lot about you know moving beyond superficial prayer. And so I'm curious if you could break that apart again. I, I feel like I know what you mean when you say superficial prayer, but I hope that you'll def- define it for those listening. But then talk to me how you've moved beyond it and kind of how that's impacted you. Yeah, there's been a lot of factors in that. I, one of them is that that Brian Zahn is my pastor, and we attend uh, Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And he teaches a prayer school where um, there's more liturgy in that, but also they teach uh, a little bit of centering prayer and so on. Um, but Brian, Brian says prayer is not, I'm probably misquoting, but he says prayer, 
Prayer is not to get what I want from God, but it's to be properly formed. So that's, that's had an impact on me, but also things like my grandson that was born premature last year. Uh, I talked in the book about standing in the, the NICU unit, and it's, it's still emotional for me. But standing in the NICU unit and, and looking at my baby daughter and her husband that stood there looking helpless, and where I fought, you know, thoughts of saying, what the, what the heck, God, you know, wanting to run out of the room and, and things like that. But then I, I also wrestled over the past few years with this. Uh, I know that you've been in churches before where we say um, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Yeah. And I think what we really mean by that is God is God is good to the extent that he does what I want him to do. And we get caught in patterns like that. Uh, but over the past few years in my deconstruction, I, I think God is, especially through parenting, especially my wife would tell you, and she's a big fan of yours, but um, she would tell you that grand, being a, becoming a grandparent, and especially of that premature baby, that we we just have we totally look at prayer differently now. That it's more like when we're standing in the the natal intensive care unit and just being there. So prayers become more contemplative for us. I think it's becoming more. Brian would talk about it as sitting with Jesus. Uh, more than lecturing him <laughs> or uh, begging or promising or any of those things. It's just become being with God more than demanding something from him. Yeah. And it, it's, just, it's become a more beautiful thing, um, something maybe a little harder to define, but it, it's good. <laughs> You know, the best thing when I was writing the book was just when I reflected on just standing in the um, natal intensive care unit and, and just crying. And that seemed like the most appropriate thing to do. And, and maybe for the first time could see um, God weeping with me at times in my life. Uh, and also celebrating and, uh, and, and going through life with me. Um, just, I, I think, gave me a little better view of God. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I find you like a treasure. Hidden deep beneath a dream. I'm curious, how does that change in prayer? shift for you uh, those in-the-moment emotional responses, you know, when you're in a NICU or, you know, in an argument with your wife or loss of a job or, shoot, the flooding that's happened, you know, where you're up there over the last few, like a month or so. Like, how does that, how how does having a prayer like that kind of impact the way that you handle those, oh my gosh, this is not a good thing type of situations? Yeah, I think it I think it changes um, 
you know, one of the last chapters is about peace. And Brian, uh, my pastor, always never gives me a lot of advice. Um, I've noticed he, that too. <laughs> a, 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 he doesn't give a lot of advice, but he, he a couple of things he says, oh, I want to stay on the journey. And the second thing he says is be at peace. And my first reaction to that is I would like to be at peace, but tell me how. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me what to do. But as as it's as it's gone on and, and I have a little different view of prayer, a little bit different view of God, uh, I think that's that's what it brings. And that may sound kind of kind of religious to just say, Well, I have peace, but um that's what I find when I view God as an uh, not retributive, but restorative. When I see God as someone that's walking with me and standing, sitting with me in my life, then I, I just find peace. I don't have to change the situation right now. I realized that I was doing a lot of things in my life for money, yeah, including including ministry, and taking kind of a, a different turn. I took two months off, and that's when I finished writing the book and. I'm punching a time clock now for the first time in 15 years or maybe longer than that. I have a name tag and I'm working more earthy kind of kind of hourly jobs. Yeah. But with all the uncertainty that, that brings a much lower level of income, there's for some reason more peace. And just being able to be there um, you kind of find a little truer expression of faith than is God, you know, is God giving me what I want? Or what are my, the promises that God has for me? And let, let me see if I can somehow wrangle those right. promises into my life. It's just a, it's, it's a more truer expression of faith, I think, to just be where you're at yeah. and be at peace. Yeah, I agree. I like that. <laughs> and it's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but it took me a long time to even get close to that, you know, because of whatever. It is a religious answer, but you can hear it in your voice. It's a true answer. And so who cares if it's a religious answer? Um, it, it, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's true. Um, and I, yeah. and I agree with it. Yeah. I know for me, contemplative prayer has made me figure out how to work myself. It's helped me learn empathy and it's helped me mm-hmm. f- intentionally be, present in situations that I used to, the way my personality is, I figured out what the room needed. Um, and then mm-hmm. I did that, which let me have some form of power or control in the room, just from the way my personality is wired. And I often now just let that vacuum exist, although it is so hard. Like when I see what the room needs, whatever the room is, right. and then I'm like, right. nope, don't do that. Because um, I find if right. I let someone else do that, they grow. If that yeah. makes sense, like I'll let someone do it wrong or do it differently and find out that I was wrong. But, but yeah, so that's what mm-hmm. prayer has done to me a bit. Like it slowed me down and made me better in a community, if that makes sense. And part of my journey and part of what we talk about in the book is um, the rejection in my life led to me wanting to fit in. And so um, I was short, had thick glasses. Um, smaller than everybody else and, and all those kind of things. And even had, um, you know, a couple of my best friends steal my girlfriends and things like that. <laughs> and I felt a lot of rejection growing up. So I, my answer to that was, 
you know, with religion, I, I talked about, you know, finding the thing that's most comfortable that I could fit into, but my life kind of became about fitting in. Yeah. Every, you know, in every way. Um, but for the second half of my life, you're talking about, you know, reading the room and so on. That was what I was famous for as a small town pastor was, uh, going into a community and adapting mm-hmm. to that community and fitting in and being quote unquote successful at, you know, building a little church where it couldn't be built because I could relate to people and fit in. Yeah. But I think, I think as, as time's gone on and a lot of us lessons from my children and things they, they've taught me about being authentic and, and being authentic with them being authentic for them sometimes uh, has helped me to just ha- have, a, have a more genuine faith overall and part of the second half of, of life yeah. thing I think I'm going through right now, and that's um, good. Carl, my absolute favorite story in the whole book is the story that you write about going to visit your friend, I believe his name is Tom in Taiwan, and if it's not Tom, I'm sorry, but I think it's Tom. And just, you know, the tea shop and how that was a reflection of, you know, service and, uh, you know, community. And so I really would love if you would just kind of share that with us. Not not in full, because people need to buy the book, but just a bit of the themes of that. Like, that is literally the favorite story of the entire book for me. Like, as I read that, I read it again, I read it again. Just really love it a lot. That's a chapter in this book. It's also at the end of that story. I say there's a lot of lessons I learned from that. I haven't quite unpacked them yet. And so this my second book that I don't know when that's coming. That'd be in the future, but it's it's just about that tea shop. Hmm. Uh, it came about when our host, who always hosts us when we're over there, she uh, we asked her if we could. We wanted to buy a, a teapot. For our, for our daughters, and so she took us uh, to tea shops, and, and we were just expecting to find that teapot, get in and get out. It's like a Walmart type of thing, but it turned into kind of an hour and a half long adventure where the guy served us tea. He found out um, that we're plant based, so he fixed us a meal, <laughs> and uh, I, I think it just did a, it did a lot of things like. Teach me about presence, about just being there, soaking in the moment, learning from the moment, um, being with that person, uh, spending time in community. But also, the guy was probably a Buddhist, and but we didn't talk about religion. I didn't need to convince him of anything. I didn't need to evangelize him. So just a, a ton of lessons. A person who, you know, we really did, I kept asking the host, you know, what's his name? What's the name of the tea shop? And and nothing really had a name, nothing had a anything normal to it, but it was just one of the greatest experiences of my life. To I walked away from that moved by genuineness of this person, the, the deepness of our that experience. It's really, really hard to explain. And it took me a whole another book really to really unpack it. Have you started that book yet? Um yeah, it's it's pretty much <clears throat> finished, but huh. hasn't been edited or anything, or yeah, the f- you know, hacked my, up by an editor yet. <laughs> the my my favorite part of the story is 
um, two things. So there's you know there's you and your family uh, in a new place doing mm-hmm. a new thing, kind of wondering what's happening. And then my absolute right. other favorite part is, right. and I'm reminded of so many stories in the Bible um, and other cultures or you know mission trips that aren't glorified vacations. You know where you're in a culture, right. the community that you're with, you can't speak with. But there's something at an emotional human level that's, oh, I see what you need. You need to just be here. Let me go get right. you something. Here's what we do here when we just want to sit and be in presence with one another. Yeah. And what I like about it is there's no expectation of knowledge having to be transferred. There's no expectation right. of uh, you know, any, any, there's no words that need to be said here. We're just going to sit in presence with one another. And yeah. we're going to have some tea. And I'm going right. to show you how... A small. I mean, I'm just going to show you a small little bit of of sac of service serviceable service. No, that's not that's not a word of of love <laughs> of love through an act of service. You know what I mean? And so that's what I really yeah. liked about it. Like it just that was a reading. I'm like, man, this is really good because there's there's no expectations from either. There's only surprise and joy. So right. Yeah. yeah, he was he was deeply interested in making me happy. Yeah, and. You know, he he already had my money for the teapot, and he had completed the transaction, but he was deeply interested in making me happy. He kept trying to find peanuts and sunflower seeds and things he thought I would like. Right. Shared some liquor. <laughs> um, it's kind of Taiwanese. How strong is uh, that? Alcohol. That's strong. Uh, it was incredibly strong. <laughs> He probably did that so you'd stay longer. He, he doesn't want you to walk away. I guess, so. <laughs> I, I guess, but but they told me it was a, it was kind of a holiday um, liquor that you don't and they don't usually serve it to, to foreigners. Mm. And so everything was just special. And he wrote characters for me, and he was kind of telling the story of us, but no one could really understand what he was writing. But everything was just deeply. Yeah. Touching. The second book hopefully will be called The Tea Shop and it'll unpack all that. So just so many lessons from one one night. There's a chapter in which you talk it's about military service. I can't remember the name of the chapter. And and I'll quote yeah. you a bit here if I can find the right the right words here. So here's what you say. You say you say I thought that it seemed logical to consider uh, and the reason I bring up military services that's the culture that we live in now and that's going to be the conversation mm-hmm. for the upcoming years, you know, as we get closer to the election and sure. this that and the other sure. there'll be a few tent pole things and the military is always one of them cuz we that's what we spend money on as a nation. Like that's that's what mm-hmm. we deem as important. Um and so you say I thought there was it seemed logical to consider military service as a way to avoid the cost of sending a kid through college. And as a side benefit, it would teach them some discipline and thought. And then you say, Laura, mm-hmm. my wife had a different opinion for her. Mm-hmm. The military represented sending her only son into the ravages of war and facing the possibility that he might never come home. And right. when I read those, I had never thought about it that way. I agreed with you. Like, you know, mm-hmm. my military, my issues with empire aside, I can see the purpose of a military and the, the cost trade analysis, but I never thought about the right. emotional parts of, um, I thought about the emotional parts of repairing soldiers when they come home, you know, loving on right. them, but never the emotional trauma that it caused to my spouse. So I'm wondering if you yeah. could break that apart a bit, if you're comfortable with kind of how that changed you or how that changed your marriage or the way that you see, you know, military as a whole. Yeah. I had relatives that have served in World War II and Vietnam, 
I have a brother that was in the Navy, a brother-in-law that was in the Air Force, and so I have the utmost respect for military personnel. But obviously, my my ideas of nationalism and things like that have changed right. over the past few years. You know, it gets much more intimate when you talk about, you know, for us sending our only son. And he lives overseas now, and that's traumatic enough for my wife. But send him in a place where he might be, you know, fighting for his life. Mm-hmm is, you know, it's deeply personal, but I don't remember if that's the exact chapter where I I also talked about that it it seems to me that God sets over us, and we look at a war like the Civil War, and has children on both sides, and and I can't see that that's ever something that he would want, and I I could never imagine my children even I don't like them even arguing, but much less trying to hurt each other. Mm-hmm. And when you begin to you know, look at things like that as, as real people, it's not just a, a nation and who's right and who's, who deserves or who doesn't deserve or who's the other, you know, you begin to look at that as, as God would look at a child. I, I would say that's where it began because I, I had this superficial kind of thing of, I don't want to pay for college, right? <laughs> it's and that, expensive. That, that, that's, a, you know, but then, yeah, my, my wife is much more in tune with her heart, and that's our son, you know? And yeah. he could die, you know? And you're worried about college. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm worried about money and, yeah, college. And, and it's always been that way. She's always been ahead of me. Yeah. And those kind of things. And it's kind of a deeply moving thing, yeah. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know exactly what chapter I'm in because I'm looking at an electronic version here, but here's because I highlighted it. So, one of the things that I like about the program that I used to read these is I can make notes, I can just manually move back and forth. But I highlighted what you just touched on. So, um, if it's all right with you, I'll read that. And so, you, you basically yeah, you said, ahead. you know, something changed in my view a few years ago. I'd always accepted that violence was simply a reality of life, and I assumed that even God understood that we could only take so much. After all, Mm -hmm. even he is portrayed as an angry and retributive at times. But Jesus didn't accept that supposed reality. When the empire encircled his world and promoted violence and conquest, he offered an alternative reality of peace. And then you go on to say, and slowly I'm accepting, beginning to accept that Jesus paradigm with all of its mystery and uncertainty and paradox. And then the next line is the one that impacted me the most. And I don't really have an end to that story. Which I think is a good way to sit. Right. Like you're gonna have to sit. With, it's gonna it's gonna be uncomfortable until we're dead. Like this will not go away. Right. Um, right. You know, are 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 bent towards violence. So, um, yeah. Well, I want to end our time with something much better. One of the favorite yeah. lines that you have in the book, and I want to end with Jesus, is that you are not on a journey to prove the Bible. And I think that word "prove" is key that you are on a journey simply to discover Jesus. And so I'm curious what you mean by prove the Bible, and then I want to know what you have discovered in Jesus, at least up to this morning. Yeah, I, I think I spent so much of my life and my quote-unquote career as a, a pastor of defending the things that I couldn't be certain about. Certainty was important but there were inconsistencies. And so I was spending my life trying to justify um, what I was certain about, uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Defending the Bible, defending my beliefs. But I found, you know, as Brad Jerzak and some of them would say, a, a more beautiful gospel, a 
that's seen through the lens of Jesus, to love your enemies and turn the other cheek and, you know, all of those things, and just finding kind of a more beautiful way that's less violent, less not retributive, um, but restorative. And not only, you know, have I found that as a philosophy or a doctrine for life, but but it's also becoming very real in my life at 54, beginning to experience, like we talked about before, real peace and living in a in a place of the the book title is kind of it wasn't I didn't do it, but um, there's another person that did that book title. It's called Apparent Faith because it should have been apparent to me, right? And it also plays on the word of a parent, you know, and it's becoming more real. I'm experiencing faith that's uh, genuine, feeling the, the abjectness of life sometimes. And, and then I don't know how it's going to turn out. Well, that's what faith is all about. You know, some of those things are becoming more and more real uh, to me. And I I had thoughts. I don't really deal with this in the book too much, but I had thoughts of just saying, you know, I'm just going to go to work and come home and forget about the rest of the world and forget about my ministry, all those things. I don't even know how important it is to believe in God, but then that what was compelling was the person of Jesus Christ that I couldn't get away from. Now is becoming not not a doctrine I defend or a religion I'm promoting. It's a relationship. It goes on between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and it's compelling me uh, to that way, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. It does. And walking in that, that way and living there is just much more beautiful. It's much more where I want to be for the second half of my life. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful... I think that's a beautiful way to wrap up of, of just, you know, the call to uh, not wanting to get something from God, but just wanting to be, you know, with God um, and, and mm-hmm. bring that with everywhere that you happen to be. So point people yeah. in the right place, Carl. So where do they go to contact you, to engage with you? Uh, where will they go as this book releases soon, you know, to get that? How can they get their hands on it? Where are all of the places? I mean, I do most of my stuff through Carl's Coaching. It's Carl with a K. Um, that's where my blog is. That's where my podcasts are. And I have a Facebook page by that name. You mentioned Water to Wine. That's where I hang out most of the time. But the publisher is Choir. That's with a Q. Well, thank you for your time this morning, Carl. I've been, I really enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed putting a voice behind the words that I read so often on, on Facebook. It's been good to It's been good to chat with you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. One of the things that I love best about Carl is the way that he writes helps me hold beauty in new light. I'm able to see beauty in both light and darkness, realizing that both are created and both are equally beautiful. There's nothing to fear in the light. And Carl's writing reminds me of that. Carl's stories remind me of that. As you come up against things that hurt as you come up against cultures and contexts and lenses that don't seem to fit the narrative, lean into Jesus. What you'll find there is a bending, not a breaking, and a mending of our soul, of our psyche, and of our faith. Today's music is from Justin Jarvis, beautiful music. You'll find links to him in the show notes. I wish you all 
a fantastic day and I'll talk to you next week.